There was a woman that uh, was going to take a ride on the city bus. And uh, she, got, she boarded the bus and began looking immediately for an open seat. And she found one, and there was a gentleman seated in the seat next to it. And so she asked him, sir, is this seat available? And he responded, yes, yes, it is. And she said, uh, well, let me ask you this question. Do you have any grandchildren? He said, well, yes, I do. She, she said, okay, thank you. She began looking for another seat. She saw another one, and there was a woman seated next to this one. She asked, ma'am, is this seat available? Yes, it is. Well, may I ask you, do you have any grandchildren? She responded, well, yes, I do. She said, okay, thank you. She saw one more seat near the back of the bus, and there was a, another lady sit, sitting beside it. And so she asked, is, is this seat available? She replied, the, yes, it is. Well, do you have any grandchildren? She said, well, no, I don't. Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit here. Well, the lady that was sitting next to her said, listen, ma'am, I heard you coming down the aisle asking for an available seat, and you'd ask if they had grandchildren. And why is it that you sat by me when you heard, understood that I don't have any grandchildren? She said, well, if you had grandchildren, you'd want to talk about yours, and I wouldn't be able to talk about mine. <laughs> You've heard me tell that story before, but that's one of my favorite uh, grandparent stories, and I'm thankful um, to be able to say I'm a grandparent. Landon will say, come up to me sometimes and say, you're my grandparent. <laughs> and I'll say, yes, I am. But uh, there's, I've had grandparents tell me through the years, there's nothing like having grandchildren. But I, 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 my response was probably something like, I'm sure you're right. But uh, now that I are one, uh, it's right. That's right. But that's not my topic this morning. My topic is something, we've been studying some doctrinal lessons through this year at uh, particular Sundays of the month. Some doctrines that uh, are distinguishable uh, from Churches of Christ and other religious groups. And today's lesson is, is no exception to that. I said to um, the men's leadership class a few weeks ago that I've learned this lesson in my years of ministry, that every, every good work requires leadership. Every good work requires leadership. Great plans are wonderful, but unless, those leadership, there, unless there is leadership, those plans will never be realized. They can be the greatest plans ever conceived by mankind, but if you don't have leaders to see it through, it's just not going to happen. So every good work requires leadership. And this has many applications. Strong Christian families don't happen by accident. It requires leadership. It requires leadership. Strong churches don't happen by accident. They happen because there is strong leadership. God has designed the church um, and he's given us instruction in his word about how the church is to be governed, is to be overseen, is to be led by strong leaders. And if you think about God's people, even under the Old Testament, you'll always see that he has called someone to leadership. 
called someone to, to lead his people, Moses, for example. And when Moses died, it's Joshua to, to lead them into the promised land. And on and on and on we could go. And it's still the case that God wants his people to be led by leaders. Not just any leaders, but cert, certain kind of leader. John Maxwell, who has written extensively on this topic of leadership, said this, I wholeheartedly agree that everything rises and falls on leadership. By that, I mean that more than anything else, the leadership of any group or organization will determine its success or failure. I believe that applies to the congregational level. But again, it's God's design that his people be led by good leaders. What kind of leaders? What does the Bible say? We won't be able to exhaust the subject this morning, but here are a few things that the scriptures teach us about leadership in the church. Number one, and most importantly, Jesus is the head of the church. He's the one from whom we get all of our direction. He is the ultimate head of the church. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23 God put all things under his, Jesus' feet, and gave him to be head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of, of him who fills all in all. Paul echoed this in, in his letter to the Colossians, chapter 1, verse 18. He, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. And Jesus should always have the preeminence in the church. He's our Savior. He is, our, he is the head of the church. And so we get our direction from Him, from what He communicated through His inspired apostles in, in the New Testament. Now here is where some people would, would disagree, and the practice is different among religious groups, even among those who say they follow Jesus. Notice this statement, and I'm quoting Dan Chambers here. Under the headship of Christ and no other governing body, God gave the responsibility of leading and overseeing each local congregation to a plurality of men who met special or specific qualifications. And I want to highlight a statement there. It's in parentheses in this. Under the headship of Christ and no other governing body. Between the head, Jesus, and the local congregation, biblically there is no other level of leadership. No convention, no whatever you want to call it. It's the headship of Christ, and then the next leadership level is in the local congregation. That's the biblical model that I want to underscore with you uh, today. But under that model, again... God gave the responsibility of leading and overseeing each local congregation to a plurality of men who met specific uh, qualifications. The Bible usually refers the term, uses the term elders to identify the men who oversee a local congregation. Let me give you a couple of examples. Acts 14, verse 23, Paul's second missionary journey. It says, so when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had uh, believed. 
they appointed elders. And I want to note with you that every time this office or this level of service, level of leadership is mentioned, it's always a plurality of elders, a plurality. That's God's design. And it makes common sense, really, to us. You've heard the statement, two heads are better than one. And apparently, in God's wisdom, he, he established that each congregation to be overseen, to be led by a plurality of elders in the work of the Lord and through the local church. Again, Titus 1, verse 5, Paul writes to an evangelist by the name of Titus, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders, notice plural, in every city as I commanded you. And again, what we see here is that in every local congregation or every city, there were a plurality of elders established, appointed in each congregation. Those, that group of elders was not to be over another congregation, but only the local congregation. That's the biblical model that we have before us. There's different terms used for this office or this level of leadership. And I want to highlight those for us this morning. Different terms for elders. And there's two passages that use all three of these in the same context. And here's one of them. This is Acts chapter 20. The Apostle Paul is in a place called Miletus, and he calls for the elders of the church at Ephesus to come and meet with him. In verse 17 of Acts 20, From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. There's one of our terms. We'll come back to the meaning of that in just a moment. But let me show you two other terms that are used for this same group of leaders. He says to them, Acts 20, verse 28, Take heed to yourselves, he's speaking to these elders, Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. There's term number two. Then the next term is used in the verb form, to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. So elders, overseers, shepherds are the three terms that are used, but they're all referring to the same group of leaders in the local church. Now what, what do they mean? Well, let's look at each one briefly. First, there's the term elder. Greek presbyteros or presbyteros, Latin presbyter. Some... Um, some translations uh, translate it differently, but elder is the idea, and it literally means one who is older. Now, I know you're going to seek out our five elders and say, <laughs> you're older. That's, and it's interesting that a specific age is not given, but it's obvious from the use of the term what God desi God's design is for these men who oversee who lead the local church is there to be older in the sense, and that's a relative term, that they have experience, that they have wisdom to oversee, to lead the local congregation. This term elder, and you remember there were elders of the people of Israel, and that was a term used for those who were recognized for their, for their leadership. And this term is used in the New Testament to refer to a decision-making, policy-making, executive role in the local congregation. So there's that aspect of 
how they lead the congregation as elders, as decision-making, policy-making body, group of men. Second title is overseer, overseer. Greek episkopos, or the Latin term is bishop, bishop. In fact, some translations will use this term bishop. But I want you to see that this term overseer or bishop is referring to the same office, the same level of leadership as elders or presbyters. It's referring to the same, same men. One who oversees is a literal meaning. And this title refers to an administrative function of the eldership. An administrator is not just a decision maker. An administrator is a person who supervises the work of those who are exercising delegated decision-making authority. They supervise. They oversee the work. They make sure the work is done effectively and completely. So, elder, overseer. The third term is shepherd. Greek poimen, Notice the Latin term is pastor, shepherds, pastors. That's a synonymous uh, wording there. But this term also refers to this level of leadership in the local congregation. I've told many of you before, and I'll remind you again, that biblically speaking, I am not the pastor of the Creekwood Church of Christ. I'm referred to as the pastor of the Creekwood Church of Christ by scores of people. And I know that in most minds, people equate that term pastor with the preacher. But biblically speaking, that is not the case. The, word, the term pastor and shepherd, elder, overseer, all refer to this level of leadership in the local church. We have five pastors here. And I'm not talking about... Tucker and Blaine and Ricky and myself, that's four. We have five pastors here who serve as shepherds, overseers, elders. But this is the term that I love because it's rich in meaning. And to me, it really embodies the work of this leader in the local congregation. Let me show you these same terms as they're used by another pastor or another elder. This is Peter, 1 Peter chapter 5. Notice what he says. The elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder. You see, he was an apostle, but he is also appointed as an elder of a local congregation. And I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. What does he say to these elders? Verse 2, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers. Not by compulsion, not because you have to, but, but you're willing to. Not for dishonest gain, not to, to line your pockets, if you will, but you're eager to do so. You're eager to shepherd the flock of God, which is among you. He continues with this instruction, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. I believe it's in today's bulletin that you'll find an article by Ricky about bush hog parenting. I'd heard of helicopter parenting. You know, 
parents who hover over their children ready to swipe down whenever their children have needs or even before they have those needs. Bush hog parenting, as, as I understand Ricky to be saying, is trying to level out the way for your child so that your child has an easy path. And I can understand why we would want that. But is that going to help our children to grow? Read Ricky's article for more information. But I point those out to point that shepherds of the local church are not intended to lord it over the flock. They're not dictatorial and this is what you have to do. They're not micromanagers, but they're leaders. And one of the primary ways that our shepherds lead is by their example. By their example. And when the chief shepherd, Peter finishes this paragraph, when the chief shepherd appears, who's that? That's Jesus. You, these elders, shepherds, overseers, will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Perhaps Peter included that inspired information so that shepherds who serve in that capacity, which is often a thankless job, which often receives a lot of criticism, will always know when the chief shepherd appears, you're going to be especially rewarded. And we should take note of that and show our appreciation to those who serve, serve us by being our shepherds, elders, overseers. But I want to spend a little more time on this concept of shepherding. And I want to go to the chief shepherd himself. John chapter 10 is a text that tells us about who Jesus is to us. And namely, he's the good shepherd. But this is, I believe God would say to shepherds who are seeking, what does that mean? What does it mean to shepherd God's people? I believe this is one of the greatest texts that you could turn to. I believe God would say to shepherds, you shepherd the flock like the good shepherd. What does that mean? Well, let's look at what Jesus says about himself, the good shepherd, in contrast to some others who were proclaiming to be shepherds of God's people, but who were more like thieves and robbers. John chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. Jesus says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. There, in biblical times, in a society that had a lot of actual shepherds who kept literal sheep, there were, there were communal folds. And that, as the, as the term suggests, several shepherds might bring their flocks into town and keep them in this communal fold all the flocks together in one fold. And there would be an entrance that, that would be, be guarded. Those who climb, try to climb over the fence and get to the sheep, Jesus says they're imposters, they're thieves, they're robbers. But he who enters the door is the shepherd of the sheep. And I think a great application for, for us today is that these men who serve as shepherds of the local congregation have to meet specific qualifications that we can study about in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. They enter by the door. And not only do they meet the qualifications, 
the, the flock is willing to be led by them. That's one of, another um, unspoken qualification, but inherent in it. There were others who were seeking to be leaders over the flock of God's people that Jesus is addressing in the first century. But he's saying it's the shepherd who enters in by the door. So what are the qualities of this type of shepherd? Number one, shepherds know their sheep. Shepherds know their sheep. I hope you're already thinking in your mind, if there's several shepherds that bring their flocks into this communal fold, how are they going to get them out of there? How is each shepherd going to get his particular flock from among the midst of all these sheep herds uh, together? Well, look at verse 3 with me. To him, the shepherd, the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. I had read that that was the case, that sheep would know their own shepherd's voice. And how would he, a shepherd, get his sheep out of this communal fold? He would have a, they would know his voice, and they would often have a particular thing that they would say. And it might seem like gibberish to us, but the sheep would recognize it. I searched on YouTube one time just to see if there was a visual demonstration of this. And sure enough, there was. There was a group, and to me it reminded me of a class going on a field trip. And this shepherd is demonstrating this to them. And so the, the, the teacher had each of, the, the, of his children get up and call out to the sheep who were out in this large field grazing to see if each or which of the children could get the sheep's attention and get them even to come to them. And child after child would, would shout and maybe try to coax the sheep in. But none of, none of them worked. But then the shepherd did this yell, this particular yell, and the sheep perked up and they began coming toward him. Again, they've been conditioned, right? They probably know that when the shepherd calls, that means there may be some more food to eat. But the point is this, they didn't listen to strangers. They listened to the shepherds because they had that relationship. What do leaders of the local church learn from the good shepherd? Shepherds know their sheep. They seek to know them personally. Not only are they known by their sheep, the sheep know them. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says in verse 14, and I know my sheep and am known by my own. What else can we learn about this work of being a shepherd from the good shepherd? Number two, shepherds lead their sheep. Lead their sheep. Again, the sheep hear his voice, verse 3. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Perhaps we're a little more familiar with cattle, and especially if we like to watch westerns, we're accustomed to seeing cattle being driven into a certain location. Driven. But sheep, on the other hand, they follow. They're not driven. They follow the shepherd because they know his voice and they, and they follow him. The shepherd doesn't drive. 
He leads them out. In Palestine, William Barclay says, The shepherd went in front and the sheep followed. The shepherd went first to see that the path was safe. And sometimes the sheep had to be encouraged to follow. But this was done by example. Do you notice what Peter said? Not as being lords over them, but being examples to the flock. Good shepherds lead, and they lead by example. Shepherds also seek to provide what's best for for their sheep. Notice the contrast that Jesus gives in verses 7 through 10. Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. The good shepherd Jesus contrasts the way he loves and cares for the sheep with a hireling. And a hireling tends to flee when trouble comes, but not the good shepherd. A hireling is concerned more about himself, whereas the good shepherd is always concerned about the welfare of the sheep, their well-being, not his own. And notice Jesus says, I am the door of the sheep. There were communal folds in town, but out on the hillside, there were also folds. um, Walls built with one opening. And if a shepherd had taken his sheep out into the country to pasture, at night he would bring them into this fold, this hillside fold, for their protection because there would be wolves, there would be thieves, there would be robbers. And the only entrance into that hillside fold was that narrow entrance. Jesus says, I'm the door of the sheep. And what would happen is the shepherd would be the literal door. The shepherd would, would sit down in that opening so the sheep couldn't go out nor could anyone come in by that opening, that he was going to to stand guard over the flock and watch out for their well-being. I've also read, William Barclay notes this, that when those sheep would enter that hillside fold, you remember this text, Psalm 23, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. The staff was that You know, that long stick with a hook on the end. The rod was shorter. It was used more as a weapon against um, people or animals that were trying to get to the sheep. But that shepherd, as the sheep would go into this hillside fold, would hold it close to the ground. So the sheep would have to slow down and, and actually crawl into the fold. But as the shepherd did that, he would inspect the sheep there are briars that needed to come out, if there were cuts or bruises, the shepherd would tend to them. And it speaks again to the intimacy. You know, sheep were primarily kept for their wool, not for lamb chops. So over a course of time, these shepherds 
You remember he calls them all by name? The shepherd would become so familiar with his sheep, he'd even name them. And he would inspect them closely and minister them according to their need. What do shepherds of the local congregation learn from the good shepherd? That same level of intimacy. They want to know their sheep. They want to know what their struggles are. They want to help in any way they possibly can. Because that's what the good shepherd does. Shepherds care deeply for their sheep. To what extent? Verse 11. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. You see, the hireling might run. The hireling might get out of dodge when trouble comes. But the shepherd is going to stay there. No matter what happens to minister to his, to his sheep. Verse 12, a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he's a hireling and does not care about the sheep. What about the good shepherd? The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Verse 17 of John John 10, therefore my father loves me because I laid down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. This command I've received from my father. Shepherds care so much about their sheep, they would be willing to give their lives for the sheep. What do shepherds of the local congregation learn from the good shepherd? The depth of of love they have for the sheep. That they would sacrifice themselves for the betterment of the sheep. Really, this idea of the elder, the overseer being a shepherd is the spiritual well-being is at the heart of the shepherd. The shepherd is always going to be concerned about the spiritual well-being of each and every member of the flock. I thought of an old song, an old song. I had to look up who sang it, and it was Ella Fitzgerald. Some of you know I went way back there. The writer of the lyrics was Ira Gershwin. The music was by George Gershwin. The song that came to my mind is this, someone to watch over me. Yesterday morning, as quietly as as I could, I I was listening to this song on my computer, hoping it wouldn't wake everybody else up. I heard Ella Fitzgerald singing, and I'm sorry it's not a spiritual song, (laughs) but I want to make a spiritual application of it. Because here's some of the lyrics. Tell me, where is the shepherd for this lost lamb? Oh, how I need someone to watch over me. I don't know if you've ever been there. You have felt profoundly this need. It may be some difficulty you're going through. It may be some, some fork in the road where you have a major decision to make and you're struggling with it. 
I need someone to watch over me. I need someone to guide me. Jeremiah says it's not in the way of man to direct his own steps. Jeremiah 10, 23. And I'm sure we've all recognized the truthfulness of that verse in our lives. We need, number one, the good shepherd. We're a lost sheep without him. We need the good shepherd. But isn't it wonderful? Isn't it wonderful that the good shepherd designed his church to be led by a group of men who meet specific qualifications but are to have the heart of the good shepherd so that you and I can know that we have some some, somebody watching over us. Somebody that's ready to help. Somebody that when we have a struggle, they want to know and they want to help. They want to pray. They want to help God. And they continue to live their lives. They live their lives of faith that beckon us to follow them as they follow Jesus. Isn't it wonderful? We have someone to watch over us. The shepherd and those with his heart. Hebrews 13, 17 says this. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls. As those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy. And not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. I hope that you'll thank our elders, overseers, shepherds for being willing, sacrificially, to lead us and care for us as Jesus wants them to. And let's so live that their watching over us and caring for us is a joy and not a burden to them. But express your gratitude for their, for their service and their care. But may their care point each and every one of us back to the chief shepherd, the good shepherd, who gave his life so that we can be his sheep and be cared for with that abundant life. If you are a lost sheep and you recognize your lostness and are ready to enter the fold Jesus died so that that can become a reality and if you're ready to confess your faith that Jesus is the son of God that he's the lamb of God who shed his blood for, for our sins and you're turning from sin and repentance and are ready to be baptized into Christ we're ready to assist you with that and when you're baptized into Christ, your sins are washed away by his blood and you're added to the fold, you're added to the body, you're added to the church. If you've never done that and desire to do so this morning, we'd love to help you. You may be a sheep that's struggling. That happens. We have shepherds that will care for you. We have a, a flock that it will help, help you in any and every way that we can. But if you need the prayers of your fellow sheep 
to this morning, won't you let that be known? And won't you come right now as we stand and sing?